0: Well, we're looking uh, at a couple uh, sermons this week um, on some difficult sayings of Jesus, some things that Jesus said that are sometimes hard for us to hear. Um, and um, I don't know what your personality is. If you're one of those um, type A people, you, you, you type A's, right, you're up early, you've got a list to do, and the first thing on your list was to make some more on your, put some more on your list to do some more, uh, you, you are the type A's, right, you're the driven people. There's other personality types. There's the type I call lazy. Um, there's that type A, and now the type lazy. Those are the ones that um, don't always get up so early, don't like a, a list. Hmm. I, I don't know. That might be me a little bit. I got to be honest. What's your excuse for not getting to work? What's your excuse for not getting a lot done? What's your excuse? I kind of like this version of the Nike uh, uh, slogan just do it tomorrow. I'm here to tell you this morning, this may be the biggest biblical truth procrastination is not a spiritual gift. <laughs> that is not one that God has somehow given us to say, okay, uh, I want you to be a procrastinator. No, no, no. Um, that, that is not it. Um, we're going to look in, in Luke 14 today. It's an interesting passage that has a lot of excuses listen to this passage, chapter 14, beginning with verse 16 of the gospel of Luke. This is Jesus talking. He's telling a story and he said, Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and he had invited many guests, many guests. Now at the time of the banquet, he sent out his servant to tell those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. Jesus did a lot of his teaching in what is called a parable. That just it, parables are just. There's a meaning cast alongside the story, all the way through the scriptures, all the way through the story of God, through the history of humanity. There are these invitations: Come, come, be in relationship with God. Come to that great banquet. Come find purpose and hope. Come to what God has for you. And I put some highlights there. Come, because everything is now ready. The scripture says this. Today, if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. This parable has a meaning for us right off the bat. The invitation is to come. Come and to enter a relationship with God. Well, look at what the people said in verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I just bought a field. I got to go see it. Please excuse me verse 19 another said i just bought five yoke of oxen i'm on my way to try them out please excuse me and still another one said you know i just got married i can't come in the modern context these kind of seem like some odd excuses right i bought some yoke of oxen oh i just got married can't come you know when it comes to excuses We can come up with all kinds of excuses, right? There are always reasons why we're not going to do what we said we were going to do. You've all been there, right? That invitation to uh, come, maybe to go, hey, come to my cookout. Now, when I get invited to a cookout, I'm coming, okay? I'm just coming. I don't usually need an excuse for that. But some of you, (coughs) some of you, it's like, oh, yeah, I wanted to go to that, but I had some other things I want to do. I wanted to go out with you guys, but... Sorry, there's, going to your lake house, that would be awesome, but, oh, I'm feeling a lot of pressure. Right, you get the excuses, right? Traffic. Anybody use the traffic excuse? See, I feel you we can use that because everybody around here understands, oh, yeah, yeah, the beltway, there's always traffic. But see, you realize that that makes it not an excuse. There's always traffic. <laughs> Leave earlier. <laughs> I, I mean, that's, I'm sorry to burst your bubble, but there's always traffic. We all come up with excuses. These, i got to be honest, probably rang as a little silly, kind of like our traffic excuse to the people. Oh, oh, I bought a field. Your field will be there tomorrow. You can check it out tomorrow. Oh, there's five yoke of oxen. I really need to go and make sure these are good oxen. Look, buddy, you've already bought them. They're going to work or they're not going to work. There's probably a 90-day money-back guarantee or something on oxen. I, I don't know how that works. But you're just making excuses. I just got married. What, is that going to run out soon? I mean, that's a lifetime commitment. I mean, it, it. We all make excuses. We're all tired. We've all got reasons why, you know, I think I want to start this relationship with God. I think this idea of having this whatever God wants, being part of His family, eternity in maybe that's a good idea. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. Maybe tomorrow. One of the all-time great classic movies. I don't know if you know this one. Um, it's in the series that are not all-time greats. The first one was a pretty good, but towards the end, they've gotten kind of, you know, the same old story over and over again. They're the Rocky series. You remember the Rocky series, The Boxer? Right, Sylvester Stallone wrote the thing by himself. Rocky won. He wrote it. He produced it. He did the whole thing. He was an unknown actor. Made Sylvester Stallone. Put him on the map. He wrote that whole thing. Orchestrated that whole movie. Rocky won pretty impressive and won all kinds of Academy Awards. The others were a little iffy. Except Rocky three. I liked Rocky three. I don't know if you liked Rocky three. He was fighting Mr. T, you know, with the big mohawk thing. Okay. The, the stories are always the same. There's always someone he's got to fight. But in Rocky Three, there comes this point where Rocky's kind of, he already lost once. He's already down. He doesn't think he can do it again. But he says, okay, yeah, I'm going to train again. I'm going to train harder. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go back to work." interesting, he had just lost his mentor, Jalen, in the movie. Can he go forward? Could he go forward? And he's been training with a new uh, boxer that you, uh, named Apollo Creed, and you can see it on this picture. But they're at the beach, and they're running along, and and Rocky loses to Apollo Creed yet again. Rocky can't seem to get faster. Rocky's not getting better. And Rocky just says, yeah, tomorrow, tomorrow. Well, we'll work on it more tomorrow. Yeah, it'll be fine. We'll, We'll get back into it. And finally, Apollo Creed has had it. His trainer has had it with him. And he's like, look, man, here's the deal. There is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. This invitation that says, come, also comes with, today if you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. God has called us into a relationship with Him. He has called us into eternal life forever. He has called us to find forgiveness, to have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and to surrender and yield to Him. I've got to be honest. I hit summer, and sometimes I think, you know, I need to start preparing my classes. Tomorrow. You know, there's some stuff I really, some work around the house I wanted to get done. Maybe tomorrow. I'm really starting to study my Bible. That would be good. Tomorrow. I really want to know God. Tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. Jesus says, uh, well, before we say there are a set of excuses that we use. And the first set, I, I just call them the my excuse, right? Because there's a whole bunch of my's. Jesus, I would follow you, but my parents, my children, my spouse, my responsibilities in my family, really, i got to put that first, right? Isn't that true? Well, we do need to take care of our families, absolutely, But God has always given us enough time to all of the things he's called us to. Well, there's my work. There's my career. Lord, I will seek you after I get done. Retirement. You retired individuals, you got more time now to really seek the Lord? I'm getting some no's. What what do you mean you're retired? We're all looking forward to that. We started thinking about my, uh, well, let's be honest. It's my desires, my selfishness, my what I want to hold on to, and even my sin—the sin that like captivates us, the sin that holds on to us, the sin that enslaves us. Yeah, don't worry about the crackling up there; it just—it's expansion from the heat. It'll be fine. Um, <laughs> my worries about my life—how's this going to work? Okay, there are so many worries that we have, but so often. Sin captures our hearts. Our selfishness captures our hearts. Or we start believing that I've done too much. I can't go back. I can't go forward. I can't. And we begin to and it's all the my things that we tend to hold on to. Listen to how Jesus responds to these excuses in Luke 14. He says, look, if anyone comes after me and does not, did you hear this word? Hate. Father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, that's one of the most easily misunderstood verses in all of the Scripture, right? Wait, I'm supposed to hate my mom? My mom gets on my nerves sometimes. But I don't hate my mom, right? I mean, I'm supposed to hate hate my mom. I'm supposed to hate my children? They might drive you nuts, but hate. This seems really strong. And hate your own life? Now, there is people who get into a place of depression or self-loathing or even self-harm. This is not what Jesus is talking about. He is not calling us to loathe ourselves or to hate anybody else. In fact, it's very clear. In 1 John chapter 4, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another. Opposite of hate? Love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. In fact, John is so clear that you can't claim that you know God and hate your brother. And not just your physical brother, but like all of humanity. You can't hate others and know God. So what is Jesus saying? You've got to hate your mother and father and your children and even your own life? What he's saying is you can't put those things first. He's saying those things cannot be your excuse. They cannot be so much the desire or demand in your life that you have no room for God, that you have no room for a relationship with God, that you completely blow off what is the most important thing in life because of these other responsibilities. All of it fits, and it all fits well. And in fact, our other responsibilities actually only truly fit in our lives when we have God at the center. The Lord makes my marriage better. The Lord helps me understand how to love and serve my parents. The Lord is the one who makes my career work out the way it should and be in the right place. The Lord prunes off some of the things that capture my heart, including things like just even entertainment and good things that are not the best. The Lord guides my soul into things that are good. He leads me, as the scriptures say, to green pastures where there's days of refreshing so we don't hate others but we have to love the lord and his calling in first corinthians 5 paul's kind of trying to bring back to this point he says i wrote to you in my letter not to associate with the sexually immoral people not meaning the people of this world who are immoral but the or are greedy, or are swindlers, or are idolaters. In that case, you would have to love the world. There's sort of this idea that, oh, maybe, maybe if I just oh, have this purity and loving God, and I'm hating everybody else. No! We are called to actually love people. Even people that don't live to honor God. Of course we serve them all. But God has to be the center and priority for us. Jesus said it this way in Luke 14. Look, Anyone who does not carry their own cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. This is one of those places where the Bible actually, the things we say, like, oh, the writing's on the wall. You know, that actually comes from the book of Daniel, right? It comes comes from the Bible. These are things that have carried into our culture. This is one of those, well, that's just the cross I got to bear. You've heard someone say that grandma, grandpa, somebody said that to you. If those of you who are young, I haven't heard that one. I used to hear that. Oh, that's just the cross I have to bear. That's just the cross I have to bear. When Jesus said, you have to take up your cross and follow me, in his context, the cross did not mean difficulties or personal struggles. It wasn't a metaphor. Jesus is turning it into a metaphor, but it wasn't a metaphor. Do you know why it wasn't a metaphor? Because the Roman Empire had conquered all of the Mediterranean area. You know, from Spain all the way around, all of North Africa, all of the Middle East. Rome was in charge. And Rome was not exactly um, considered a kind government. And if you crossed the Roman government, if you were a criminal, one of the ways that they made an example of you was they took you out and literally nailed you to a piece of wood so that you could hang out there beside the road so everybody could see this is who you are and this is what crime you committed against the Roman government and now we are putting you on display as you literally are nailed to a piece of wood until you die. It's called a cross. When Jesus said, anyone who's going to be my disciple, you can't have all of my, this is my desire, my life, this is the way I want it to be. You actually have to take some of your desires, some of what you think you want in your life, and you put that to death. You nail it up there and say, Jesus, I actually... You know what's best for me. I want to surrender to your design. I want to put it into your hands. It was so interesting. Um, I was in a a conference actually uh, to help prepare us uh, working with college students and others um, and you all know that there is a lot of violence in the world and domestic violence and sexual violence and some things that are absolutely horrific in this world and we know that that young adults often struggle with you know um, sexual relationships and different kinds of things and as we were uh, talking and sharing uh, one of the things we we often talked about was a, a young couple perhaps that wanted to really seek God and follow him and know the Lord um, and yet they were in a wrong place sexually they were in a wrong place in their sexual relationship and what were they going to do and how were they going to follow God oh boy and we had to talk a lot about What about consent? There better be consent, right? Because that's important. We want to make sure people are making right choices. It's like, yes, absolutely, because we want to protect against violence and against manipulation, and all of those things are wrong. But here's the deal. We all have to call and say, part of it is surrender and say, God, I want your way. If you're saying to wait till marriage, I need to wait till marriage. If you're saying to follow me now, i got to follow you now. We've got to surrender and say, God, God, You know what's best for me. Are we trying to shame anybody? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because Jesus took all of the shame as he was nailed to the cross, naked and died for us. We have all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We have all broken the rules. We have all crossed the lines so many times that I identified with Jalen that I'm like ready to hang it up. Because let me tell you, who in this room is the chief of the hypocrites? Anybody You want to look around? No, you don't have to. Just look right here. I found him. The one who's crossed the line too many times, the one who's failed more often, the one that says, you know what, I'm hanging up this whole thing, this whole Jesus teaching stuff, I'm ready to hang it up because I'm disappointed in myself. I have failed. He's taken my shame and he paid the price for my sins. He is the one who has taken it all. That doesn't mean I want to go back and keep sinning. That means I owe my life to him, my savior, my king. He's the one who gave it all so that I could find forgiveness, so that I could find life. Have you found life today? Jesus says, come. There's no shame. He already paid for it. I mean, there's guilt. I'm shame. Of course I'm ashamed. I'm embarrassed. But I come back. To the Father who sent His Son to die for me because He loved me. Have you come to Jesus? There's the my excuses. My sin, my guilt, my shame, my addictions. The stuff that I hold dear. Jesus calls us to lay it down. Pick up the pen again. Begin to write with the power and presence of God in our lives to be His. Today, that invitation is for you. Will you come and be His? But briefly, can I show you one other excuse that we make? And I think this is one for our church right now. We need to think about this long and hard. It's the resources excuse. The resources excuse. Jesus, I would follow you, but... But there's not enough time, there's not enough money, there's not enough people, there's not enough strength. God, I would do what you have for me to do, but we just don't have enough as a church. There's not enough people. So there's a lot of new people today. Welcome, we're glad you're here. Uh, There's not enough money, there's not enough time. And at first, Jesus seems to be kind of on your side, saying, you know what, you're right. We need to take a nice, hard, critical evaluation to see if we've got enough time, to see if we've got enough resources. Jesus seems to be talking the same language you are. Look at Luke 14 one more time. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Why do you want to build a tower? I don't know. You just want to build a tower. But suppose some of you want to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Sounds pretty good. Vicki and I want to do some projects around our house. It would be really embarrassing to get it started and not finish, right? Like, oh, you did a nice half a flower bed. Good job. (laughs) For if you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build, but he wasn't able to finish. Nice half a flower bed. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first down, first sit down and consider whether he's able with ten thousand men to oppose the one coming against him with twenty thousand? If he's not able, he will send a delegation uh, to the other, who is a long way off, and ask for terms. Now, see, all of that makes me think, okay, Jesus is talking our language. Do we have enough money? Do we have enough resources? Do we have enough time, people, energy? Sounds like Jesus is talking our kind of language. He's ready to make the resources excuse, But I know that's not true because Jesus is the one who took like a sack lunch. I mean, there were like little three, two fish and some five barley loaves and fed over 5,000 people with the thing. He's the one that in Luke chapter 7 walks up and there's a funeral procession coming out and the boy is already dead. He's already in the coffin. And Jesus is like, oh, no, 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 stop. Uh, Little boy, get up. And he gets up. Jesus is the one with unlimited resources because he is the one by whom and for whom the universe was made. So he has all of the universe, resources in the universe. And if he needs some more, he can make another universe. He's got enough resources. So what is Jesus saying here? Well, look at verse 33. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples what when Jesus is talking about sit down and calculate whether you got enough resources to finish the job figure out whether you have enough stuff to, to build that tower or to fight that battle he's talking about you your commitment do you have what it takes to just say is it this hard it's this hard yes yes Lord be Lord of my life Thank you for the forgiveness. Take hold of my life. I give you everything. You see, it's not about the amount of resources you lack, but about the level of commitment that you're willing to make. Now, I'm not saying, oh, I'm just saying that it's an all-or-nothing commitment. I mean, let's think about a marriage here, right? I mean, some of we celebrated the we celebrated a wedding. I mean, when we come down to the marriage thing, how do we make that commitment? do you, you know, do you and how, do, how does it go again? I've I, I kind of, i done a lot of weddings, but sometimes I sometimes forget I think it's something like this hey, if you're mostly feeling like it on most days be very committed, kinda I mean, if it's not gonna work out I mean, you know, there's 90 days I think that you can turn it back in and be done and get your money back um, even on the wedding um, unless the cake is eaten if you've eaten all the cake, you don't get in the money is that how that works? you say I do it's the same invitation from God. Come. Come. The feast is ready. The banquet is ready. But you've got to come. Verse 34. Salt, Luke is, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It's thrown out. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Some of us, our commitment level has waned. And we need to say, Lord... I committed my life to you. I meant it. I just haven't been living it. Some of you just need to say, yes, Lord. You take all of me. Some of you are here today and you don't know Jesus. You don't know how it's all going to work out, but you know one thing. You've got to have Jesus. You've got to have forgiveness in your life. You have got to have that relationship with God. And you're at that point where it's like, I know that I, this may cost me everything, but I'm in and you're ready to take that step. If that's you this morning, would you say this prayer in your heart right now? Jesus, yes. Forgive me. I'm yours. And he promises to give you both eternal life, to give you his Holy Spirit, and to give you a life that is beyond anything you can imagine. So what do we learn this morning? What do we learn about excuses from Jesus? We learned that Jesus must be your love priority. He has to be. Everything else is just an excuse. And number two, this is the one that gets me. Commitment's the only resource that God doesn't provide. Even when I'm faithless, He's faithful. We have to make that commitment. Will you say yes to Jesus today? We're going to sing a couple songs here uh, as we close uh, the sermon. But I want to be down at the front. Um, if you want to come and pray up here, just because you're recommitting your life to Jesus, this morning I was up early. I'm on my knees again. Jesus, take all of me. Maybe you want to come and just say, Jesus, have all of me. If you want to speak with me about what it is to follow Jesus, please come. You come. I'll just be standing here. Or if you want to catch me afterwards, we can set a time to talk about what it is to follow Jesus as your Savior. Let's, let's stand and sing.